Good evening. Good afternoon. Good morning. Depending on where you're at. Can you hear me? Give me a thumbs up if you can hear me. Okay, good. So the idea here uh, with this uh, this evening is not not to not drop things, except you might want to drop your preconceptions if you can. <laughs> that might be harder. That's why I'm here. So the uh, title for tonight's Dharma talk is uh, Be With All Things, otherwise known as the, the vow of the Bodhisattva to save all beings. Simply put, it's be with all things. And the reason it's put that way, my understanding and why I like to use that particular one is you've got to start somewhere. And you might as well just be with the, the stuff that's arising in your mind stream. Ondo, did you get a haircut? <laughs> Thought I wouldn't notice, huh? <laughs> so it's hard to do because especially uh, we don't have a practice and it's hard to not buy into or believe the stuff that's arising in our mind that is triggered by something out there, someone else or our own life, or possibly we don't even see a trigger. We just notice that we wake up in the morning and this doesn't feel so good. I don't feel good today. And so instead of just looking at the emotion, the feeling, the quality, the texture of that disturbance, shall we say, which is even going a little bit too far to say that, we call it something. We call it depression or we call it, and then other people buy into that. And then other people say, perhaps they say they have depression or they have negative feelings or so on. And we all think we're experiencing the same thing. Probably not. So. Why would, you, why would we say be with all things when some things are crappy? Be with it anyway? <clears throat> the idea here is a spiritual path is about seeing deeply for yourself what is fundamentally true, what is fundamentally important or true. We need to see that ourselves rather than have someone tell us, including a meditation teacher, Dharma teacher, or anyone really. Anyone else, your mom, your dad, are going to be able to tell you a few things, but might be good for you to see it yourself. Not easy. Be with all things. So the idea here is to, the you know, more uh, elaborate way of saying this, more personal, is to save all beings. Uh, another way of saying that is to put everyone before yourself, to put other people's welfare, other people's what other people want before what you want. That's also a vow that we observe or receive in the, the Mahayana path, the path of the Bodhisattva. Uh, Bodhi means awake, Sattva means being. It means, uh, uh, been translated different ways, but enlightening being or a, a being who is was on a journey to attain complete clarity about the nature of themselves and of the universe and of everything. What is this? So it seems to be necessary to have a practice where uh, you are watching what is showing up and what is passing away. You, what is what is you're able to to, you could say, accommodate or receive, and that which, no matter how hard you try, you keep turning away, keep adding on to it, you, something shows up you don't like, you immediately jump to whatever is available, could be blaming someone else, or there I go again, just to say, there I go again, is a way of adding on, because it validates that as something that actually is occurring, that will occur again, you just said so, there I go again, there I go again, there I go again. So we give it a kind of kind of a mini credential for being somehow valid. We validate that. If you just receive it, it doesn't, it can't collect a, a credential. It can't pass go and collect $200. It can't get any grip on the relative mind if you don't do anything with it, but just have, you could say, an attitude of just receive, just an open dimension where you're just an observer. You're watching the emotions and thoughts come towards you. You watch your ideas and your projections uh, go towards those things possibly, but you don't do anything with it, nothing to correct. So it's not about 
correcting it. It's about just be with all things. It may be things that are coming towards you. It may be the way you're adding on to things, which you may be trying to stop. So it, it doesn't seem to uh, respect the polarity of the self-centered mind that wants some things and doesn't want others. It's a vow that actually transcends, as has been said in the past, transcends karma, transcends it. Well, how does it transcend it? It doesn't disagree with it. It doesn't agree with it. And it doesn't ignore it. It transcends it. And in order to practice this, it seems necessary to have a, a meditation practice where you bring yourself uh, to the cushion, to the, wherever you're sitting, and to watch the way you continue to object to that, the way you continue to move away, the way you continue, or I, continue to agree with some things, disagree with other things, and sort other things out and try to reshape them or make them so it's easier to accept that or it's... Uh, or somehow we've got that handle or now that's going to go away because now I've just accepted the blame or the credit. Anything you do with anything that is arising out of some kind of preference, one thing and a preference uh, a consideration, you want something else to stop. This is called a, a relative truth and relatively it functions that way. It is relatively true. It is relatively false, but it doesn't, look at the larger picture, the bigger picture of everything. It doesn't look at the entirety of the situation, which, which is not uh, located or fastened to or uh, has a, have allegiance to this particular lifetime that we're living. Much wider than that. It's uh, so the, uh, the awareness that begins to see that and understand that is sometimes called a maha or great maha pipachana or great panoramic awareness. And even that is uh, maybe not a complete description of it. So for each person, each person's experience of sit down, hold still, watch the movement uh, of what is coming and going in the mind stream each person is going to have a different uh, take on it or a different uh, uh, challenge or a different kind of uh, obstacles that will arise there. And the, the, the recommendation is to don't do, don't do anything. Don't do anything with it. Keep it uh, very minimalist. Don't push, don't pull, don't look away. And if something is arising in the mind stream that is, is difficult or challenging and we tend to just spontaneously react to it or go into some kind of a thought pattern around there, there that is again. And I don't know why that won't go away. Those kinds of chatterings. Those of you who have done some sitting meditation know about those. And I would say those are spontaneously risen. Uh, it's, it's, it's not much different than the, than the situation that arose as the depression or as the difficulty or as the challenge, as the bad feeling, uh, even though you added to it, and I said, or someone said, said, don't add, don't subtract, don't divide, do nothing with it, just receive it. If you can just receive, give it your attention, whatever's moving, give it your attention, just receive. But if you can't, if you find yourself leaping out of your chair or leaping out of your, your mind stream into pushing, uh, into validating or blaming, then just observe that. So we're always returning to the basic idea of, re of, of receiving, even though that receiving may not be the, 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 uh, uh, the first opportunity to just receive. Whatever arises, just receive. Whatever. If you receive it, it doesn't hang around. It's like being, a, it's like being a, a, an invisible person in an empty house with no doors and no windows. The, the, whatever comes, it just comes through and it passes right on through. It keeps on going. But if you do anything with it, it hangs around and creates more disturbance, more chaos. No guarantee. So if you, you do this and you feel like, well, this isn't working for me. Well, maybe it's not. But it seems necessary to do a lot of it. Any questions yet? Go ahead. When you're bowing, you uh, just said that you may think this is not working for me. It's this path is one of no progress. What is it to have something 
a path work for us? Um, I think it'll show up different uh, for each person. For me, what the way it worked for me to say it's working is my dedication to my teacher. It's my, my you could say trust in him. I'm not recommending you trust me, not recommending you trust anybody. I would even say, don't trust anybody. Don't trust me, don't trust him. Believe anything, don't believe anybody at all. But it's dependently risen. You may have a connection with someone where you might need to do that, but it doesn't need to be some kind of a command where you have to believe what I'm saying. I often say over and over again, don't believe a word I'm saying. But if something that I am saying resonates with you, then maybe you might want to consider it. I try to be as as uh, respectful as I can because I don't want to. Not trying to convert anybody to anything. I I would say. In order for me, the way I am wired, you could say, for me to help anybody, I have to really respect their confusion, not try to correct it or fix it or get them to do, to do anything, including meditate. That may be applicable to others, that may not be. More? Yeah. Yeah, so again, this path can be disappointing or take a long time, you say, often that it could take years can. so how how can we stay inspired by this mm -hmm. path if it looks like it's going to take years um, this is one reason we have uh, we have all the conceptual uh, aspects of the buddha's dharma 2500 years of people looking at what the buddha said and deconstructing that in different ways there are various uh, people who have practiced and have understood something deeply about the, the teachings of the Buddha, have been able to talk about it in different ways. Vasubandhu, uh, uh, Asanga, uh, uh, Dogen Zenji, and, uh, and current teachers. My teacher, Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, has, I don't know, 10 volumes of, where he talked a lot and uh, describing different aspects of the Buddhist path. So studying that way, this is something we do uh, every day. I don't know what is there, 12 different book studies where we come together as a sangha, as a community, a spiritual community, and look at what someone said in the 13th century or the 9th century or further back than that, or the words of the Buddha himself, the apparent words of the Buddha, and we discuss that. We look at what has been said and see how that works with the practice that we're doing, our awareness practice and our, our practice in uh, relating to the teaching person, in this case, this person. And, uh, and I would say, don't do anything unless you have to. If this is not working, do something else. And when I say working, I just mean some understanding or some inspiration that you need to keep doing this. It may, may not show up, the spiritual path may not show up as, as a, like the, the, what the, in the monk talks here, uh, was it last Saturday? Was it last Saturday? We gave a talk on the, the 10 boomies or the 10, uh, 10 stages or grounds, uh, bodhisattva grounds, or the way sometimes the path of the bodhisattva is described in terms of those grounds. And so it, it could, I think it shows up different for, for different people. Some people want to uh, align themselves or, or um, uh, commit themselves to this uh, path more deeply. They become monks or they might uh, be, uh, receive lay uh, precepts or jukai. Um, the 16 precepts there that, and the, the three pure precepts are do, do good, don't do harm, simply put, nothing complicated there, and be with all things or save all beings, put others before yourself. And a lot of the uh, putting others bef before yourselves can show up as not really being able to do that because some people are uh, just harder to put because they're, what, bad people or because their, their confusion is more abrasive to you. Uh, so because they're so confused, then we can't quite do that. So it's about observing that, being aware of that. Not necessarily having some kind of accomplishment where you've done that. The intention is what is important. The intention to be with all things, not actually being with all things. Actually, there uh, you can't actually be with all things because the ultimate understanding is there isn't anyone separate. We have to start somewhere. So we start working with the relative aspect, uh, relative bodhicitta, or trying to actually 
based on the way relative truth looks is trying to work with that. If you read in Atisha's seven points of mind training, there's a big elaborate, I don't know, 59 slogans covering relative bodhicitta, in other words, help people, and absolute bodhicitta, is there aren't, there aren't any people to help. Everything is an illusion. So when you read that, that kind of material, and there's more of that all over the place, when you read that, you find your own your own way of relating to that. You Some of those slogans may not resonate with you at all, and other others may, uh, may speak to you, like, uh, of the two, keep the principal witness of you and everyone else. Stay with what this looks like to you. Another one is uh, absolute bodhicitta would be uh, always remain, always be a child of illusion. Everything is unreal. It's real, and it's and and that you it has a sense of being real, just like a dream is real when you're dreaming it. When you wake up, it's not even sure why you would even think that was real because it was so bizarre. This is pretty bizarre right here. Questions are good if you have them. Yes, Shoto. Shoto Valley. What is it to keep the principal witness when working with a teacher? Uh, keep the principal. Keep the principal witness is to is to trust in what's happening with you. You already have the relationship to the teacher, and you will know if you have a close relation to the relationship to the teacher if you need to bring something to the to the teacher or not. You don't have to come to the teacher about everything. More. Sure, Brian. I guess it, to me, it looks like it could be interpreted as not giving the teacher the benefit of the doubt, like to keep the principal witness when working with the teacher. You want help with that? Yeah. Don't do that. You will know if you have a, if you're, if you have a teacher, which I'm not here marketing myself or anyone else, but if you have a teacher, you'll know when that applies. You will know that. More? Further questions? Anyone on Zoom out there and uh, wherever you guys are at? Cheese on buying. When you say that you will you will know that, will that show up as as knowledge bowing? Yes. You just know that. Is that semi? That's semi. Yeah. Hi, semi. Anyone else have a question? Shokabang. Okay. What is the difference between believing the teacher and trusting the teacher? Ah, good. Uh, trusting the teacher is to not necessarily take whatever the teacher is, says or does and turn it into something else just because you can. Even though being there may not be feel particularly secure, um, just do it anyway, or not, or do something else. More. Let's go. Let's go further into that. There's more to be said about that. If you have it, if you have the question. Shokabang, when we're confused, how can we receive what you're saying without turning it into something else? Just see that you do that. If you, if you abandon what is arising for something else, it's about the awareness that that is what is happening, not stopping yourself or controlling yourself so you don't do that, even though the teaching would be, don't do that. But just like I say, uh, I sometimes say, don't add, but I know you can't help but add. But if I say, don't add, then your awareness about the, the way in which you're adding things or taking something that arises and adding something to it, it must be this, it must be that then that becomes more clear. The awareness about the adding is more in your, in your, uh, uh, in your perception. So don't add, but there's, the, there's the addition. Shokabang. Yes, Shoka. What is received when we don't turn it into something else? The truth. 
you, you, you actually receive the truth, which is nothing is separate from anything else. And once that has been received, there isn't anything else to receive. Shoto, if we're, if we have a true teacher, is the teacher also the principal witness? I wouldn't get too fancy. I mean, you can, you can go in there and then you, we start separating what's true and what's not true. But it's a, the slogan is for you. Of the two, keep the principal witness. It's basically talking about your relationship to uh, every to the world and to everything. Uh, it's, it's not taking the, the teaching person out of the loop, particularly. If you have a teacher, then you might want to talk to the teacher about whatever's happening to you. But when you're any other situation, you might be uh, might be looking at things going this way, things going that way. You might want to consider your own understanding. So it's just a way of talking about it. It doesn't mean you have to believe your thoughts. Like that person, I have to believe my thoughts about that because I'm supposed to keep the principal witness. So therefore I don't consider or listen to anyone, what anyone is saying. It's always, I'm always the one who is right. More. It's a slogan. So it doesn't mean that you're going to be able to, you know, use that to ward off, uh, uh, things that are out of your control. Sure, what should we do with the teacher's instruction? Consider it. You having trouble with that? The, the talks from Saturday just had a, a few people bring up that teacher dynamic. So I've been pretty curious about wanting to go deeper into that. Yeah. Each person has their uh, relationship to the teacher. The, the, the spiritual uh, teacher is, uh, depending on the culture it's in, is gets really intense. Whatever in ancient Tibet, it was whatever the teacher uh, commands, that I will do. So no, there was no, I don't know how they fit in, keep the principal witness there. Maybe it was the teacher in that situation. And in, in ancient times, it was more about just putting the teacher ahead of everything. In this uh, particular cultural situation here, where we have a, where my, I had a Tibetan teacher and a Zen teacher, both from different cultures. This is this cult culture here. So less, less locking down on whatever is showing up on a form or right or wrong and more about, let's look at it. Let's see what this is. Fundamentally, let's, let's watch, let's observe, let's, let's receive whatever is happening without jumping to uh, necessarily to a conclusion about who's right, who's wrong. What should I do? What shouldn't I do? You've been been here for a few years. You having any difficulty in that area? Do you feel like the teacher is ordering you around, telling you what to do? No. Does anyone here feel like that? Any of you monks, especially? So what? Why even have a teacher then? What is the teacher doing? What is the teacher doing right now? You gonna answer that? I had a question around it. Wait a minute. You wanna answer that? What's the teacher doing right now? Introducing us to our world. Go ahead. When, when you brought up the different cultures and you said this is this culture, mm -hmm. is the is that an invitation for communication with the teacher? Is what an invitation? Instead of having that, whatever the teacher or the guru says that will I, that I will do, is there is this culture more supportive for communication with the teacher? Yeah, I, uh, yes, I would say so. To consider uh, the way I say it is, don't believe me, don't obey me, but you could consider it. You can consider when I say train your mind. Uh, I'm endeavoring to meet you where you're at. I'm not trying to convert you into Buddhism or anything for that matter. I'm just saying, you might want to find out what this is, this living being that all these living beings, whatever, 37 living beings, I guess, or more on Zoom and another, what, eight people in here, nine if you count this person, 
you might want to consider finding out deeply what this is, not just believing in Buddhism or believing in the teacher. Now, all t- my, both of my teachers taught totally, they were like nothing alike at all. You could not really, I mean, I saw them together a few times and they talked to each other somewhat. Their teaching style was radically different. And I'm nothing like either one of them. Other than to say that I teach out of what I see, and I think they did too. But what they see and what or saw or what and what I see may not line up in the same way. Junchu. Question from Shane in Virginia. Shane. Can you trust the teacher's lies? Trust the teacher's lies? Shane, you always have been kind of peculiar. I, I, I think it's a, it's a lie you shouldn't, shouldn't, shouldn't trust out if it's a lie, but the teacher's lying. I'm not sure what, is there, is there something else you want to know there, Shane? Maybe you could rephrase your question or ask it a different way. Ginger Bowling, um, you've said everything you say is a lie. No. So what is it that we are trusting if we do have some trust no. in you? But when I when I'm saying that, as I'm saying, you you never can. As soon as you open your mouth, you can't you can't speak ultimate truth. You might be able to you might understand that, and you might try to point to it. But everything you say is relative. It's a relative situation. So. It's not that it's uh, the conventional kind of I'm lying to people and not being genuine or honest with you. It's just that it's it's a relative situation. So you never can really point to what it is. This is why the teachers in ancient times, including the Tibetans, but quite a, quite a bit in Zen would would uh, would um, would try to like Dogen Zenji does or other Zen teachers in the past would kind of talk out of both sides of their mouth in order to uh, inc- uh recommend to you that you look deeper into the situation rather than just the just the relative situation like the stone woman gets up dancing the wooden man begins to sing well wooden men don't sing stone women don't dance so why would they say that they just lied from the point of view of relative truth but what is what they're endeavoring to do using whatever images they can and this was uh, back in what you know, this is a, around 1,100 years ago that this was, a teacher said this. A stone woman gets up dancing. The wooden man begins to sing. And it's, it's meant to, to help you see more deeply into the nature of consciousness and the nature of identity. A stone woman is basically saying that the uh, gets up dancing. It means that dancing happens, but there's no one there. It's a stone woman. It's, there's no real entity or person there. So that's what is being recommended. It's what is being pointed at there. So you could say relatively it doesn't happen. It's kind of a kind of a liar and untruth. So the teaching person, he, she, or they might resort to that kind of a situation uh, in a uh, face-to-face relationship with a with a student or possibly in a in a Dharma talk. So I would say, don't believe anything. Don't believe it, don't disbelieve it, and don't ignore it. And that way, your openness will, it will show up in the way that it needs to in order to um, align, you could say align with your true nature so that you're not, so you're not manipulated into something else or into believing something or disbelieving something, which is the very nature of uh, relative truth is that, Right and wrong, up and down, back and forth. We buy into that, and we try to we try to make that work. Make it squeeze some kind of happiness or truth out of that understanding, and it just doesn't work because death comes without warning. This is not going to last. It might persist for a while, but fundamentally, it ends. Everything ends. Everything that shows up ends. What doesn't end? Is there is there something that doesn't end? That which is, does not. Is not created, isn't created, doesn't go away. Find out.
Question on uh, Zoom? Ondo Bowing. Go ahead, Ondo. Um, what did your dedication to um, Chogyam look like when you were starting out on the path, Bowing? Uh, I was pretty terrified, but I'd been working with my mind. I've been reading about Buddhism for about 12 years, from 1960 until 1973. And uh, when I read uh, a couple of books by him, Cutting Through Spiritual Materialism and uh, Meditation in Action, I, I kind of realized that I was, even before I finished the book, I probably was going to have to talk to him. And those of you who've read or studied Cutting Through Spiritual Materialism see that the description of the nature of ego in there is pretty convincing. So you read that kind of a, a description of the nature of mind and you're actually experiencing what is being described. You realize that somebody is talking about the way your mind works. So you might think maybe I should talk to that guy because everybody else you talk to is, is so tied up in knots of their own ideas and opinions and judgments and evaluations that you, you can't, you, you can't, you can't go that direction. You're not going to get any help there at that, in that area. So my feeling about, uh, uh, Ondo, regarding your question, my, my feeling about that, I was, uh, I was both terrified and knew I had to go, had to go talk to him. It was difficult to do that. So I was, uh, a kind of very cowardly on the one hand, I didn't want to go. And, uh, and also, um, you might even say kind of brave because I thought I'm going to have to go do this. I just have to, no matter what happens, I've got to go talk to him. It was very difficult. I was only 30, what, 32 years old or something like that. Pretty young considering. And, uh, further question about that, Ondo? Ondo Bowing, what was that about going to see him? That is dedication, bowing. Uh, just it was uh, choiceless. I, I I didn't make a choice about it. It's like it came up, and I had to do that, in spite of the the fear or the trepidation. It was difficult, but I, I had to do it. So I, I don't know how else to say that other say it other than as choiceless. I didn't decide say well should I go or shouldn't I go. I had to go, and I, I didn't really even want to tell anybody out about it because then I would have to tell them how frightened I was. And I was embarrassed about that. I mean, like, what, what, what am I embarrassed about? I'm just going to go talk to a guy about meditation just because he's a, a Lama from Tibet. And he was a uh, fairly accessible. The other Lamas from Tibet that I had met uh, or, or seen, I wasn't about to approach any of them because they're too holy. <laughs> they had robes and everything. Where this guy wore a, a, a sports shirt, uh, smoked cigarettes and, and drank sake. So I thought, uh, I can approach him. He's not too terrifying. Well, he still was terrifying in spite of that, trying to, uh, and I'm not saying he was trying, but he just was more ordinary looking. He didn't, wasn't so intimidating. Yet this book, Cutting Through Spiritual Materialism, for those of you who've read that, it's a powerful book. We've been studying it for a long time. First started studying it in 1975 as a group and have been doing that right up to and including what, yesterday? studied it yesterday. Further? No. Bowing, um, is um, facing your fear uh, dedication, Bowing? I don't think so. Uh, that, that what happened there was uh, choiceless. I didn't like decide to face my fear. I didn't decide. I just, I couldn't help it. I mean, it was fearful and I was, had some trepidation. You know what I'm talking about, Ondo. I had some fear and some trepidation, but somehow the need to know the truth is more powerful than the fear. I needed, I, I felt like he could help me and just by reading the way he described the nature of ego and the nature of self-centeredness and narcissism, the structure of ego. I've got to, I've got to just uh, do it anyway. So it was choiceless. And just like, uh, uh, quite often, not that I'm the have the kind of uh, teaching or power that he had, of course. But still, if people that come this way towards this person, it's pretty choiceless. You don't really evaluate too much. You realize you need to do this, or you don't, or you do something else. I don't particularly 
advertise or promise anything, nor did he. Shogobang. Yes. Semi has a question in the chat box. Who does? Semi. Yeah. How do I be with something that is based on fear? Be afraid. Just, just be afraid. Uh, who, who you are, uh, who you actually are, is not is not threatened. It just looks like it. This is where paranoia comes from. So this is why the path of meditation, whether you whether you attain realization or not, you may not realize your true nature, but you you will be the whole idea. If you have a better understanding of how to work with fear, and see that it's it really. The, the fear is a is kind of a is kind of a concoction of things. So just when I say when it says uh, the Bodhisattva vows to be with all things, that's a pretty good place to start. Just when the fear comes up, don't cover it up, don't blame anybody, don't blame yourself, don't 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 do anything with it except just fear, just the texture of the fear. It's like feeling of a carpeting. It's just the texture of it. You don't abandon the texture of it to call it. Well, it's a rug, or you know, it's a, it's a, it's rattan, or it's a, uh, the, any kind of texture that you would name it to, in order to get back away from it. Just feel that fear, and also don't go the other way and rub your nose in it, particularly, and try to force yourself into it. Shoko bowing. Semi has a follow-up question. Semi, go ahead. What is fear made of? So it, it is the, the reaction of that aspect of consciousness that has congealed or gotten together in some kind of a hub of separation. It thinks there is somebody who's fear, who, who is afraid of something else and that something else could be too much open space, uh, too much closed space, agoraphobia, uh, claustrophobia, any kind of control or any kind of threat that shows up. Uh, can can be uh, create that kind of fear of other fear of other. So this is what we're working with on the path of meditation. Is trying to see is there is there an other is there what is this what what the what question uh, in, uh, in in some areas uh, in the therapies and other approaches to working with the mind, which have their own validity. I'm not here to say everybody should meditate. They shouldn't. I would say don't do anything unless you have to. If you don't have to meditate, don't meditate. Do something else. Difficult to do this, but uh, so as far as the fear, it's fear of the unknown, fear of oblivion, fear of death, fear of the other situation. But if you realize your true, nat true nature, there isn't anything else. This is called uh, Advaita or non-duality, not, not to the illusion of other beings and other things and other, 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 other is just so incredibly powerful. It's, but this is, as has been said, the dream you have at night is a sample dream. That's what shows you that it's a dream. You wake up, oh, that was unreal. Even though the things in it seem very real at the time, we grasped some things, we ran away from others. We enjoyed this. We didn't enjoy that. We were confused by this or that being that showed up in that personage or even our own self coming and going illusion. Then we wake up. And then, then we see that 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 we had at night was a sample dream that shows us what a dream is. This is the real dream. This is the actual dream that you have to awaken from. This is the nature of Anutra Samyak Sambodhi or the Sanskrit for complete unexcelled awakening or enlightenment or seeing the truth of reality. No one can give you that. No one can hand that to you. But someone who sees that, understands that, can point to it but they can't give it to you. Carl Bowing, if, if I'm lost in a thought and I kind of snap out of it, then looking in hindsight, I can see how, see clearly that that was an illusion. Is that a kind of awakening or just a, go ahead? You know, it is, a, it is an other, the actual awakening is not an experience. If it is, it'll go away. This is an experience. Here's an experience. Gone. It's gone. It happened. It was sharp. It was immediate. 
and it, it, two things came together and caused something else, but it goes away. But awakening is not something that comes into experience, so therefore it can't go away. Go ahead, John Roadhouse. Thank you. Uh, what is it about awareness that uh, seems to have the, the quality or the uh, result of um, self-liberating fixed views? Because uh, fixed views get their sustenance and their, their nutrition from grasping, rejecting, or shutting down the three poisons. And if, if awareness is uh, uh, just awareness is there, then, uh, then there's, no, uh, there's no, no nutrition for that. So then it becomes self-liberated. No one does it. No one liberates anything. There isn't anyone. There isn't anyone to liberate anything. So that the way you phrase it there is a as a teaching way a way of teaching this uh, in such a way that someone can begin to see that, that just just observe just be just awareness itself of the forms coming and going, and uh, you might say take nothing personally. Yet if you do take it personally, don't take that personally. So don't don't double up with what Trungpa Rinpoche called uh, in ancient times uh, fifty years ago. Uh, double negativity. The first negativity is negative enough. You remember that, John? Yeah, negative negativity, he called it. Yeah, he did. He did call it negative negativity. Being negative about negativity. And it's just like, it's, it's almost as bad as positive positivity. But then you've got to be, uh, who's that one guy that teaches positive positive? The power of positive shrinking, I think it is. The power of positive shrinking, yes. Wasn't that Ted Turner? No. Um Dale Carnegie. Dale Carnegie, yeah, and then his his friend uh, Dale's friend. Uh, who was that one guy? Norman Vincent Peale. Yeah, yeah. That's dating us. That's what? <laughs> That's dating us. Uh, no, I, I'm I'm married. I can't date you. <laughs> <laughs> so so back back to awareness. Speaking yeah. of Dale Carnegie and. Uh, oh. Darn, back to awareness again. Let's go. Of Dale, Dale Carnegie and Norman Vincent Peale. Uh, yeah. So, so from that perspective, the way that awareness, if you will, interfaces with fixed views from the point of view of self-liberation. So from, from that perspective, then there's no, um, there's no completion or finish to the awareness process. Because there's always one more, one more layer of the onion. Again, to cite something Trump or Rinpoche used to talk about: peeling an onion or wearing out a pair of shoes. So there's always some other dimension or aspect to which awareness could operate and have the quality of self-liberation. So it's not a one-off. Is that a correct understanding in your, from your perspective? Do you need my approval there, John? Oh, I definitely do. Okay, okay. then I totally approve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just my um, impression. Okay. Just in my own practice or working with my own mind, that uh, that the application of where of awareness is inexhaustible. So, so simply to say. Oh, I'm aware of that. As if that's the end of the uh, conversation, so to speak, is uh, missing the point. So it seems. So it seems. Thank you, John. Shut Thank up. You. Shut up. Shut up, Ryan. If if that process, like John's describing, is inexhaustible, what is unexcelled? Awakening, inexhaustible. It, it can't. You can't exhaust something that is. Uh, uh, you can't exhaust something that doesn't have a source, and it doesn't have a source because it's not a relative situation. So it's inexhaustible. But we have to talk about it somewhat. Stone woman gets up dancing. We have to. We use those kind of metaphors in order to display this, so that the. 
the self-centered mind, the ego mind, the suffering mind can actually have some kind of way of working with it. Just like we come in, we sit down, hold still, look at the wall. It's a very relative situation. It's called discipline. Sheila Samadhi and Project are disciplined, uh, seeing what the seeing, uh, looking at the situation of Samadhi and then seeing what it is or wisdom uh, that's not separate. More? Sure. What, what's the difference between uh, someone on the path who has things to see still and someone who's realized who has things to see still? Someone, uh, uh, someone who's realized doesn't see anything else. They, they, they don't see anything else. They always see themselves. They always see what this is. They, they, they just see this. But they don't ignore the relative situation either. So the relative situation, the absolute situation, uh, here, we, here again, we come back to the same situation. It's it just about impossible to construct with the thinking process. The relative, the absolute, and the relative are not two different things. You don't have two things anywhere, including that one. So therefore, everything is preaching the Dharma all the time. Everything is saying not to, not to, not separate. If you wanted to uh, use a, a conceptual interpretation of what you're looking at. If you see what this is, we'll not, we won't have any questions about anything. May not have any answers. More? Sure, if everything's preaching the Dharma, what, what's, um, if we're unclear, what's happening to that teaching by the time it gets to us? You're, the way you're working with it is, uh, is, is so literal that it doesn't, it doesn't hold up uh, for, for a response. So uh, paraphrase yourself, get closer to what, what you're actually want, wanting to know. Can that message break through the ego? It's not separate from the ego. That's why it's so difficult, because that's why people think we need to get rid of our ego, or that's too egotistical, or we, we buy into that construct and thinking that's something we have to get rid of because it uh, seems to be going the wrong way. When it's not separate from what you're looking for, go ahead. So is everyone receiving that teaching? Yes, everybody's, re everybody's receiving it all the time, everywhere. They just add to it. That can't be right. Or I think I've got it. Or uh, some kind of a buying into the separation of the otherness and reinforcing that because of fear. I know the personal example that shows up for me is when you say everything's preaching the Dharma, my comment is, well, it doesn't look that way to me. How will it look that way? Maybe not. Listen, observe, just observe. If you just observe, the ego mind does not get any nutrition from that. But if you observe and you have a thought about it, like, well, it doesn't look like that way to me. You just told me, you just showed me your ignorance. And you would sh show me your ignorance, even if you said, I agree with them. No matter what you did with that. Don't add, don't subtract, don't divide. Do no math at all. And the practice seems to be seeing the way we cannot really control that or stop it or start it or have any say so about it. Sent you. Sent you going. Can we be with all things while while preoccupied with right and wrong? Yes. If you're aware that you're preoccupied, then there isn't anything else to do. It's about awareness. It's not about fixing it or getting better. If you're preoccupied with right and wrong, and then that is all. That's the way all things are showing up. It's when you think that the preoccupation that some things are actually right and some things are actually wrong. So it's the addition. The preoccupation with right and wrong is just 
watching stuff come and go. Some things appear right, some things appear wrong. And uh, self-centeredness wants some of that, but not that, and wants more of this, but less of that. So the preoccupation is uh, uh, just look at it. Chun Chu. Question from Tom McCauley. Tom. Are you familiar with the headless way described by author Douglas Harding? Yes. Can it cultivate a level of awareness comparable to the awareness cultivated by Shikantaza? Yeah, I don't know. I read that many years ago. On having no head. I think I mentioned that to somebody today, didn't I? You mentioned it in my interview. <laughs> I did. So interesting that that shows up at the same time. Did I did I ask you if you had a head or if you were getting ahead or falling behind? You remember, Shoka? Shoka, I don't remember. Yeah, I, I don't. You were you were saying uh, talking about enlightenment as a description. Well, that's, there you have it. And Douglas Harding had a an approach which I it's been so many years since I read it. So I, I can't respond to, to that, but I would say if, you know, if that, if that reading that book is inspiring to you or supports you in some way, then that's, I would say it wouldn't, I wouldn't deny that and say that, that may be helpful to you since you're asking about it. It's just kind of coincidental that it came up uh, an hour apart. Yes. A question from Jethro in the UK. I, I see a lot of common ground in the core messages of Buddhism, Taoism, Christian mysticism, and Advaita Vedanta. But as soon as I go towards any one path, that grass is always greener syndrome raises its head. How do I discern which path to follow? Is it necessary to follow, follow only one path? It, you know, it seems like you, you need to find something that works. Uh, important thing for me was, because uh, I was reading all over the place back in the in the 60s, 1960s myself, until I met Trungpa uh, uh, Rinpoche. And then it was choiceless for me. But I was reading every direction. I was reading a lot. And so, but without a teacher, without a particular teacher, seems to be difficult. I don't know, that say they can't be done. I'm not saying you can't read Christian mysticism and read Meister Eckhart and also read uh, uh, Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, and, and then also read uh, um, Advaita teachings also. Maybe, maybe you could. You'll know. Uh, it tends to be kind of circular if you don't have something to, to basically give you some kind of a ballast so you can continue to look and see what this is for yourself. Reading that, that all that material is very, very interesting. I used to read that, that Schocken book by uh, uh, Meister Eckhart. I was reading that in the 60s, and I just read it over and over, and it's just wonderful to read this great Christian mystic, Meister Eckhart. It's, but it gets to be kind of entertaining reading about Advaita or reading about Taoism or reading about, even reading about Buddhism can do that also, unless you read the same book over and over again, then it's not quite so entertaining. Shoka Bhang. Okay. Semi has a question in the chat box. Semi, go is ahead. Being, is being with all things and loving kindness the same thing? I, I, I would say there's some, there's some, some equality happening there. Loving kindness, just giving everything the benefit of the doubt. Allow things to arise and pass away and arise and pass away. And eventually you see that that which is uh, uh, observing, the, the observer, the observer quality of that is also what is it, what it is observing. It is not separate from. The, the elseness is gone, even though you still see things come and go. But you don't see anything moving that you don't recognize. Kevin Bowing. Kevin. In terms of being with all things, would we work with the karma that we have coming to us differently than we might 
the karma we're making bowing? Uh, the karma, the way I say this, the karma that is coming to us as our mind stream or as someone walking in the door to our house or uh, whatever, some kind of interaction is just happening in our, our life stream or our mind stream, insofar as you can, just, just receive it. Just receive it as it is. But then when we add on to it, then we tend to we tend to come out of our preference for one thing over something else based on, on sometimes on hope and fear and on, on all kinds of uh, pretty much unsearchable or unsourceable uh, energies that can come from everywhere. So less is better. Just allow the allow your life to show up, and that way you won't miss your life. Whereas if you're operating out of uh, some kind of selectivity, or uh, I like this, but I don't like that. This is good. That's not so good. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm responding to your question in a way that's helpful to you. Yeah, if you have something further, I'd be happy to look at it. I guess I just have an easier time of discerning karma I have coming to me when I'm in meditation practice versus in my life. But I guess maybe there's no difference. Yeah. Well, you know, that's also awareness. You're noticing there's a contrast there. It's about seeing the contrast. Notice when you're sitting practice, uh, that's the practice of sharpening the awareness. And then when we get up, then we notice how, how dull our awareness is, which is also awareness. Seeing what something fundamentally is, even if it's, it has a descriptor or a descriptive, it's still it's still awareness. So the, you, if you if you see your true nature, if you realize it, uh, ten, ten minutes before then, you probably it's probably going to feel pretty hopeless because you've been looking and looking and looking and looking. Just about as Trunk Rinpoche once said, ego is like uh, walking on a shoe. You just have to keep walking on it until it wears out. What wears out is your belief that it's real. Uh, you just don't, you just keep going and going. And it's a, uh, it can be difficult, can be challenging, and it can be uh, un, say, unrewarding in the conventional sense of kind of getting somewhere. I'm, uh, I'm on the seventh boomy now, even when Trump or in 1973, when he was at the, uh, he was talking about the boomies, I think, in 73 and 74 transcripts. He said, uh, someone says, so, so Rinpoche, what boomy? I have to paraphrase a little bit. What boomy are you on? And he said, uh, Teton boomy. So, which showed you what he wasn't about to tell you, that he was on the eighth boomy or the ninth boomy or tenth boomy, or it transcended all the boomies and it was now a Buddha. Instead, he kind of made a joke out of it. So, isn't it interesting that he, we talk about all those boomies, but you can't, if you ask a, a Dharma teacher, uh, they, they may make a joke out of it. If you ask me, I would say, I have no idea. I don't even know how they, I don't even know. I don't even give talks to the boomies. I have my student monks give talks to the boomies. A lot easier. Anything else? One more question. And then we're, we're all going to go out and have a beer. No, no, no. Go ahead. Jason, go ahead. Yes. Um, there, there appears to be, a delay between a thing that happens and our awareness of it. Is there an importance in that delay between those? If, if that's what you're picking up, just be, don't do anything with it. I mean, you commented already that it's a delay, but just look at it. Just continue to look at it. Don't, don't transfer that to something else. Just whatever it is, that's it. Whatever it is, that's it. If you just look at it, then if it does, if you are looking at uh, something that is unreal, uh, it will begin to reveal itself. But it's unlikely to reveal itself if you or me or anybody are meddling with that and judging it or moving it aside or making it brighter or more dull or less rele relevant or, or or has too much delay, too little delay, too, not enough delay. Any kind of commentary on it uh, comes out of uh, objecting, agreeing, or ignoring. Those are the three poisons. Do nothing with it except what? Receive it. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for the question, Jason. So we can dedicate to merit. So and here in the monastery, we'll, someone will go and lead the dedication of merit.
If you value the teachings of Sokozan and you would like to support his teaching work and the functions of Sokukoji Buddhist Temple Monastery, which also supports monk and practice residents, please consider giving a donation by visiting our website at sokukoji.org.